We're going to open to the book of Ephesians. Uh, Pastor Brownie quoted from this verse earlier. We're going to look in Ephesians 3. The last two weeks we studied from Judges the uh, song of Deborah and Barak. And uh, it was great because we saw the song that they sang as they, as they obtained the victory that God had given them. And that was the way it was phrased. God has given you this victory. Throughout the book of Judges, you see, as we've said before, a very black and white tale. People that, when they served the Lord, their enemies were at bay. When they served the Lord, their crops prospered. When they didn't, they had problems. Sometimes it doesn't seem that black and white. And uh, in fact, you know, you see a guy like Apostle Paul serve the Lord and still gets beat. So don't say, somebody's getting beat, he must not be serving the Lord. No, 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 no. But he says, in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer. He may get physically beat, he never really gets spiritually beat. But throughout the book of Judges, you see this dichotomy of, 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 of turning to the Lord and seeing deliverance, then turning away to the gods and the idols of their neighbors and seeing utter terror, folly, and, and, and all sorts of things because they turned away from the God that brought them into the promised land. And we talk about this fact that it is called the promised land. We didn't make that up. That's not something, you know, every now and then you'll run across something in your Bible that the uh, translators put in, like a chapter heading. That's not in there, but they want you to know where you are in the story, so they put a nice chapter heading. You know, the promised land wasn't something that the Bible translators or the guy who sold you your Bible put in there. That was something that God called it. Because it was promised. So if it was promised, do you think it's fair to say that the Israelites had no choice but to go into this land. Right? Yeah, of course, of course, it's promised. When God makes a promise, He keeps a promise. But you've got to remember, the first generation of Israelites to set their feet in the wilderness did not get the promised land. Why? They were disobedient. Okay, absolutely. How were they disobedient? What was the big straw that broke the camel's back? What was the, what was the thing that kept them from the promised land? It was disobedience. But it was fear, unbelief, all of these things. The scripture says it was an evil and unbelieving heart which turned away from the living God. It was the fact, if you look in the book of Numbers, that they said, they are too strong for us. We can't go in. So they refused to go in because they were afraid, because they refused to believe the word of God. They didn't go in. And though it was promised, it was left to their children to take it. So the fact is, something can be promised and not obtained. The way to obtain a promise is, as the scripture says, through faith and patience. It says, be imitators of those, in the book of Hebrews, be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises of God. So you inherit his promises. You say, well, he's promised it'll happen for sure. On his end, yes. How many of you have read in, in 2 Peter 1 where it says, uh, that God has granted us these precious and magnificent promises. It says that He has granted to us all things pertaining to life and godliness. All things pertaining to life and godliness. Do you have all things pertaining to life and godliness? Are you walking in all things pertaining to life and godliness? Are you at maximum life and godliness potential right now? But you could be. He's not holding anything back from you. It says He's granted you these things. He's given you these things. Whether you have it or not is not a matter of whether God decides to give it to you, but whether you can get in line to receive it. 
Jesus said a huge part of this is abiding in Him, abiding in His Word, abiding in His love. Because apart from Him, you can do nothing. So we can say, God has promised this thing, so I need to just sit on my couch, play some Nintendo, and watch it happen. But that's not the way it works. It's faith and patience that inherit the promises of God. Jesus died for the whole world. Yet in order to be born again, Jesus says you have to, in order to enter the kingdom of God, you must be born again. And Romans says in order to be born again, in order to be saved, you've got to believe in Jesus. You've got to confess him as Lord. You've got to believe that he died and rose again. So just because he gave and offered salvation to the whole world does not mean everybody gets it. So all of these things are from God. And yet... We obtain these promises through faith and patience. In Ephesians, it says this, and we're going to look in Ephesians 3. And if I had my way, we'd read the whole book together. But we don't have time for that. So go home and read what surrounds this, because I do believe it, it gains a lot of power in its context. We're going to read it in a bit of isolation right now, but you can go home and read the rest of it later. And we're going to start in verse 14. For this reason, what reason? Well, he says that the Lord has made known the mystery of His grace to the Gentiles. He says uh, that uh, you have boldness and confident access through Him. It says that you shouldn't lose heart in your tribulations, for they are for your glory. But the next verse says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that He would grant you according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner man. So let's grasp that for a moment. He says, according to the riches of His glory. So what is He drawing from? Where is this power coming from? What, what credit account is He drawing from? The riches of His glory. N- not a lot of what you deserve, not a lot of uh, what you've earned, but from the riches of His glory, that's where He's drawing it from. To be strengthened with power through His Spirit, but where? In the inner man. That you've got to be strengthened in the inner man. You can say, well, God is strong. Absolutely He is. But His strength needs to be working inside of you for it to have effect. Now, God can do a lot outside of you. Don't, don't let me tell you that He's limiting Himself to you. Thank God. If He limited Himself to us, we'd be in real trouble. But the truth, we find this real quick, is that God wants to work through you, and anybody that's going to be used by God has got to allow God to work through them, and has got to access that grace by faith. And he says that you, my prayer is, and do you think if he's praying this, that he's just praying it as a nice prayer? Just because he has, he has to have something to pray before he eats. And he's prayed for the food, but it feels too short. He needs to add something to it. So he's going to pray something that's obvious already. Or do you think there's a reason he prayed? Do you think if he hadn't prayed? Let's just, let's just ponder for a second. Do you think if he hadn't prayed this prayer, they might not have been as strong in the inner man? You say, well, no, no. I mean, surely, surely that's not the case. If God wanted them to be stronger, they'd be stronger. But then why would he waste his time, his valuable time? I think the Apostle Paul, his time was valuable. And if he took the time, inspired and 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 and, you know, uh, definitely told by the Spirit of God to pray this, I think it's important that he prayed that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man. 
In verse 17, it says, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up with the fullness of God. So all of this is in order. Oh, you need to be strengthened in the inner man in order that you may comprehend His love. You've got to comprehend His love in order that you may be filled with Him. But what does it say after this? Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to Him be the glory in the church, and in Christ Jesus, to all generations forever and ever. Amen. He says, to Him who is able to do far more abundantly more than we ask or think. This does not excuse you from asking. This does not excuse you from imagining. This does not excuse you from going and going out on the limb and saying, Lord, I've seen that this is Your will, so now I come to You on, on, on that basis on the basis of your covenant, on the basis of your will, on the basis of the blood of Jesus, and I say, help. All throughout the Scripture, you have people praying a prayer, coming to the Lord, asking of Him, and He grants it to them. You see, He's able to do far more abundantly, more than you could ask or think, and He will do more than you can ask or think, but that doesn't mean you don't ask. Because in the next part he says, according to the power that works within you. It's his power. But he chooses to make it work within you. It can work outside of you as well. God is not limited to you. However, he wants to work through you and in you. And you've got to, at some point, submit yourself to the will of the Lord and say, what is your will in this circumstance? Find out, open your Bible, hear from the Holy Spirit, and have the courage to ask because He is able to do far more than you ever could ask. But you know, we could ask for some crazy things. James says that uh, there are some people that are discontent because they don't have what they need. He says you don't have because you don't ask. Says another, he says some of you ask and you don't receive, and the reason you don't receive is because you ask for all the wrong reasons. Which lines up with what 1 John says when he says that we know that if we pray according to his will, he hears us. We know if he hears us, we have whatever we've asked for. But don't you see that this is pretty important that you ask? What are the two things you've got to do? Well, there's more than two things, but I imagine two big ones are that you find out the will of God, and then second, you are able to ask in faith for that. That you just don't expect it's His will, it's going to hit me in the back of the head when I'm least expecting it. That you have the courage to ask, because He says, you have not, because you haven't asked. He says in the first chapter of James, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives freely without reproach. But the one who asks, he's got to ask without doubting because the one that doubts is like a reed shaken by the wind, just tossed around. And it says he is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. It, well, actually, it says, don't let that man think he will receive anything from the Lord because he is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. That's a harsh thought. He says the man who's double-minded about what he prays is not sure that it's God's will, is not sure that, that he has any right to it, and he gives God a multiple choice question. He says, don't let that guy think he's going to receive anything from the Lord. Wow. That's, that seems harsh. 
He says, don't let that man think you will receive anything from the Lord, which means at some point you're supposed to tell him, you're not going to receive anything from God like that. I don't mean to be harsh here. <laughs> because we realize there are plenty of times that we don't know the will of God. I don't know. You, you say, you know, am I supposed to move to Edmonton or not? Let's open your Bible and find out if the Lord tells you to move to Edmonton. That's probably not going to happen. So what do we do? We do what 1 Corinthians 2 says. We rely on the spirit that he's given us so that that spirit that knows the heart searches the depths of God, knows the perfect will of God. It says, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. Have you ever wondered why it's so important that you know what's freely given to you? Why does it matter? Because if you don't know it's freely given to you, you don't get it. You don't take it. You don't receive it. You don't even ask for it. 1 Corinthians 2 says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, that which God has prepared, that, that, nor, I'm sorry, nor has entered even, even entered into the heart of man, that which God has prepared for those that love Him. It says, For who knows the spirit of a man except the heart of a man? Even so, no one knows the spirit of God, no one knows the heart of God except the spirit of God. But we have received not the spirit which is of the world, but the spirit which is from God who searches the depths of God, who knows everything that God knows. And it says, we've received that spirit that we may know. The reason is so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. It's important that you know what God wants for you. Because once you know His will, you can ask in faith. And it changes how you ask. It changes, it changes the audacity of the things you ask for. Have you ever read the story of Joshua? where he defeats the armies of the five kings. We talked a little bit about this, I believe, last week. And doesn't that sound kind of terrifying to start with? The armies of the five kings. Sounds like something from a really sweet movie. No, not a sweet movie that you would watch, but one that I might watch. The armies of the five kings arose. In order to understand that story, you've got to understand what God told Joshua in chapter 1. Every place you go, I've given it to you. Everywhere your foot touches is your land. Not one person who lives in this land will be able to stand before you. If you know that, then you can be like Joshua, face the armies of the five kings, march out with a lesser, lesser skilled, lesser equipped army, and stand in front of five armies facing you, not even fighting for your own land, fighting for the Gibeonites who tricked you into a covenant with them, standing in front of the armies of the five kings, whooping them, and as you chase them, the Lord throws stones from heaven at them. And more people died because of the stones that God was throwing than the people who had swords in their hands. That's not fair. It's also not fair that as God is throwing stones, Joshua realizes, and I'm sure it comes into his head, not one of these men will stand before you. Not one of them will escape this battlefield. And he sees them getting away. I'm sure Joshua takes no delight in killing people. He is not a mass murderer. He's not a psychopath. But he realizes that if these ones get away, they will come back. So what does the man of faith say? 
This is the man who heard the word of the Lord. It is my will that this is your land. It's my will that not one of them stands before you. So without prompting, without precedent, without counsel, he has the audacity to look at the sky and say, Sun, stand still. Moon, stand still. Scientifically, I don't know how that happened. That's not my business. I just know he did it. God did it in such a way that it, whether it just appeared that there was still sun there or whether he stopped the, the orbit of the earth, whether he stopped the earth from spinning and stopped the earth from rotating the sun, I don't know what he did. He could have done a whole bunch of things. Either way, they had light. Who has such a stupid thing? Sun, stand still. Moon, stand still. We've read the story so, so many times it doesn't seem crazy to us anymore. That is a crazy thing to ask. Hezekiah turns his face to the wall, says, I want to live some more. Isaiah comes to him and says, you're going to die. Prepare your house. Get your house in order. Hezekiah says, I don't want to die. Turns his face to the, the wall, prays and cries out to the Lord. Isaiah is on his way out, turns around, comes back to him, says, the Lord heard your prayer. You're going to live. What sign do you require? And, and Hezekiah goes, you know, he could have said, oh, um... You know, have the next person that comes in say, Howdy-doody, Hezekiah. Then I'll know it was the word of the living God. But he doesn't ask something like that. He says, make the shadow go backwards up the step. People ask for crazy things when they're convinced of the will of the Lord. And Hezekiah wasn't even <laughs> as convinced as Joshua was. Hezekiah wanted it for a sign. But Joshua knew that this was the will of the Lord. And if it's the will of the Lord, I am within my rights to ask for crazy things because I serve a God who can do more than I can dream up to ask. So the thing is, we think we're so offensive to God for asking for something big when He goes, you don't have the capacity to ask for something I can't do. You don't have it in your brain. I did not give you that much ability that you can ask for something I'm not capable of. So the question is never whether God can do it. The question is, is this the will of the Lord? Remember the man who comes to Jesus and he goes, if you will, heal me. And Jesus looks at him and I, you take it from the text, but you know how your brain paints a picture when you read something? And you almost see Jesus' look like, what are you kidding me? And he says, if I will, can you believe? That's the question. He goes, I will, can you believe? What a silly question, if I will. So he is able to do far more exceedingly. That's one word in the original language. We needed three to make that fit in ours. But super, super abundantly, exceedingly abundantly, hyper abundantly, more than we could ask or think. It's not even close. It's not even close to what you have the ability to dream up. But you have to ask. You have not because you've asked not. At some point, we have got to be convinced of the will of the Lord. If we find out from Him, this is what Joshua did. Now, Joshua did not just go out saying, Sun, stand still. I want to take a longer shower. Because he didn't have a shower, but you know what I mean. I want to take an evening bath, let's say that. Sun, stand still. He didn't use this as a card trick for his friends. Watch this. This will be fun. Sun, stand still. <laughs> you see what I do? He didn't do that. 
He found out what God's will was. God spoke to him. And when he was convinced of the will of the Lord, to him it was not an option that they fail. Do you think the son would have stood still had Joshua never asked? No. Do you think that the armies of the five kings would have died, would have, would have been defeated had Joshua not stood up there with his men? We read last week and the week before about the song of Deborah Barak. And, and you remember the verse that says that the leaders led in Israel, that the people volunteered, bless the Lord. And later on it says the peasantry ceased. There were no farmers left. The highways were deserted because of the enemies. Until I arose. Until I arose, Deborah, a mother in Israel. We know that God raised her up. We know that it was God's power working through her. We know that Deborah has no power in her own strength to defeat an army. But it took somebody arising. She has to say to Barak, Awake! Arise and take your captives. For the Lord has given you this victory. This is the day that the Lord has given them into your hand. What is your job? Your job is not to take the victory, is not to get it for yourself, but this is the day the Lord has given you the victory, so get up, man, and go get it. What if today is the day that God gave you the victory and you sat around and did nothing about it? Maybe you were like Saul, we talked about recently, who sat under the tree and waited for something to happen. High priest with him, the armies of Israel with him, all sitting under a tree waiting for something to happen. And it takes Jonathan and his armor bearer to go up and say, if the Lord is with us, we're going to take the camp, just the two of us. And they did. I want you to look at Ezekiel. I want to show you something. The book of Ezekiel is, is not a happy book for the most part. And the reason is because you see the great and deep rebellion of, the, of Israel. But it is happy in the sense that you see the great enduring passionate love of Jesus of God sorry you see the the mercy of God in their adultery that he takes them back he doesn't forsake them he doesn't forget them Ezekiel 36 we talked about this some months ago when we were being uh, told to fast we'll say it again the Israelites have come into some trouble Ezekiel was a, Ezekiel was one of the exiles from Jerusalem uh, he lived with the exiles and um, he was one that escaped early. As I understand it, later on, many people said, "Now nah, Jerusalem will stand, the temple will be fine. This, Don't worry. And he says, I hate to tell you this, Jerusalem's going to fall. And it did. But then Ezekiel gives hope. And uh, in Ezekiel 36, 22, he says, Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for my holy name. 
which you profaned among the nations where you went. I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you profaned in their midst. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when I prove myself holy among you in their sight. They've done all the wrong things. They've forsaken Him all the time that they had the opportunity to. He says, it's not for your sake that I'm going to deliver you. It's for mine. You ever considered that? You ever consider God acting on your behalf for His own sake? Now this takes a whole new perspective when we consider what Jesus did for you. What His blood did for your status. What His righteousness did for you. Replacing your righteousness. Not supplementing your righteousness. Replacing it. This takes a whole new view for me because if He did this to a sinful and terrible, rebellious, adulterous people. What does he think about you? When he says you've made all the mistakes, you deserve what you get, but it's not for your sake I'm going to act. It's for my own. I'm going to redeem you for my sake. I'm going to deliver you for my sake. I'm going to set you free for my sake. Listen to what he says. For I will take you from, from the nations, gather you from all the lands, and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. You will live in the land that I gave to your forefathers so you will be my people and I will be your God. What a claim. I'm bringing you back to the land of promise. I'll make you live there in peace. I'll clean you up. I'll give you a new heart and you'll be my people and I'll be your God. We don't grasp how big that is for him to say, you're going to be my people. How ashamed does he have the right to be of those people? Yet he says, you'll be my people and I will be your God. Wow. Moreover, I will save you. Listen to that. I will save you from all your uncleanness. And I will call for the grain and multiply it. And I will not bring a famine on you. This is God saying, I will call for the grain and multiply it. I'm going to make you have the biggest harvest you've ever had. And I will multiply the fruit of the tree and the produce of the field so that you will not receive again the disgrace of famine among the nations. Then... You will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good. And you will loathe yourselves in the, your own sight for your iniquities and your abominations. Listen to this. He's not waiting for them to repent for him to do all these things for him. He's saying, I'll do these things. Then you're going to notice we were wrong the whole time. How great is our God to do that? He didn't even wait around for them to say, you're right, we're wrong. You, you're right, we're wrong, we messed up. He just says, I'm going to do this. And then you'll realize... But you rebelled against me. After I do all these beautiful and amazing things, he says, I'm not doing this for your sake, declares the Lord God. Let it be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded for your ways, O house of Israel. 
Thus says the Lord God, on the day that I cleanse you from all your iniquities, I will cause the cities to be inhabited. That's huge. I will cause them to be inhabited. And the waste places will be rebuilt. The desolate land will be cultivated instead of being a desolation in the sight of everyone who passes by. They will say this desolate land has become like the Garden of Eden. And the waste, desolate, and ruined cities are fortified and inhabited. Listen, he's telling them, I'll clean you up. I'll bring you back to your own. I mean, this is not a small thing. He's bringing them back to this land. It's been overrun by invaders. They've been kicked out. There's no way they could imagine that they could come back. He says, I'll bring you back. I'll clean you up. Your first harvest, it's going to be a big one. Get ready. Your trees will multiply. I will rebuild your ruins. I'll make your cities inhabited. This is God doing all these great things. Then the nations that are left round about you will know that I, the Lord, have rebuilt the ruined places and planted that which was desolate. I, the Lord, have spoken and will do it. Now listen to this. So you've got an inventory of your mind, all the things he's going to do, right? He's going to bring them back. He's going to clean them up. He's going to give them a new heart. He's going to wipe the slate clean. He's going to give them a bumper crop. He's going to give them more fruit than they ever deserved or planted. He's going to rebuild their waste places. He's going to repel their enemies. He's going to inhabit their cities. Thus says the Lord God, this also I will let the house of Israel ask me to do for them. I will increase their men like a flock. Did you hear that? All these things the Lord wants to do for them. He declares it to them. And he says, I will let you ask me for these things. You have to ask. I'm not doing it for your sake. I'm doing it for mine. I'm going to tell you all the things I'm going to do for you. Then ask me for them, and I give them to you. Scripture says, ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance. Huge thought. What do you think the entire Bible is full of, particularly the New Testament? Promises from the Almighty God. And he says, I'll let you ask me for these things. Jesus announced his ministry. In the book of Luke, he stands up and he says, he reads from the book of Isaiah, and he says, this is what I've come to do. The Spirit of the Lord has anointed me to proclaim, to preach, to proclaim again, to preach again, to give sight to the blind, proclaim liberty. But four or five of the things he mentions are things he proclaims to them. Then what do they do? They come to him. And as many come to him are healed. And as many come to him are delivered. And as many come to him are taught and shepherded. As many that come to Jesus receive what he's proclaimed he's there to do. But when he says, I've come to proclaim release to the captives. I've come to proclaim recovery of sight to the blind. I've come to proclaim these things. He didn't go door to door, knocking on every door, dragging them out and saying, you got to come to church. You just sit in the front row. Listen to me. And I'm going to pray for you at the end. You lift your hands when I pray for you. No, he says, this is what I've come to do. Now come to me and I'll do it. When he sent the disciples out, he says, go preach the kingdom. Then heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers. Freely receive, freely give. 
What's the first thing they're supposed to do? Go there and preach. This is what the kingdom is. This is what Jesus came to do. This is what you can have. And then when they come in faith and say, okay, I believe that, they get what they came for. The woman with the issue of blood, it says, when she heard about Jesus, she went and found him, touched the hem of his garment and was healed. Did Jesus come to her house and find her? No, but the word found her. Faith came and she went and got it. You see, all of these things are from God, freely given to us, friends, freely given to us. We have got to be convinced, like the Israelites had to be convinced by Ezekiel, that God wants this for you. It's for my sake that I do it. Now ask me for it. Can't you just see God saying this? I want, these are all the things I'm going to do. I'm going to let you ask me for these things. But it's important that you ask in faith. You've got to be convinced of the will of the Lord. And I know that's difficult at times when every circumstance and every outside uh, environment would convince you otherwise. But you must be convinced that this is the will of the Lord for you. When you say it's the will of the Lord, it does not mean that He's going along with your will. It means that you're going along with His. Have you ever considered that you are going along with His will when you ask Him to raise you from the sickbed. That when we cast out an evil spirit, we are not petitioning God and hoping He says yes. It's His desire that they're free. Once again, in the book of James, when it says, if anyone is sick, let them call for the elders of the church. They will go, they will anoint them with oil, and the prayer of faith will raise up the one that is sick. He doesn't say the prayer of faith will put a petition in before the Lord. He'll, he'll, um, you know, he'll consider it. He'll give it his opinion, and he may or may not do it. It says the prayer of faith will raise that one up, but it is a prayer of faith. In order for it to be a prayer of faith, you have to do as Jesus said and believe completely that this is the will of the Lord and that you've already got it the moment you said it. This is why it takes people who abide in Him. Remember Jesus said, Abide in Me, and My words abide. If you abide in Me and My words abide in you, ask whatever you will and you got whatever you have asked for. But what's the key? You've got to abide in Me and My words abide in you. If you're not abiding in the Lord, His words don't abide in you, you don't know what to ask for. And you may be like that man that James mentions, that's asking for all these things that the Lord has never told you to ask for. Say, Lord, help me to get that job in Calgary. Help me to get that job in Winnipeg. Help me to get that free trip to Tahiti. But if the Lord wants you here, or if the Lord wants you in Inuktitut, then... I, I just... Yeah, I just said a language, not a place. <laughs> None of it, sorry. Then you better hear what His will is for you. Because your prayers aren't going to be that powerful. But we've got to come to the place where we're so convinced of His will that you're like Joshua, you're like Jonathan, that though it seems insane to ask, it seems offensive to ask. That you know His will enough, you can ask in faith without a chance that He'll say no. Because Jesus said, when you pray, believe you've already received it. First John said the same thing. We know if we pray according to His will, 
He hears us. And if he hears us, we have. He doesn't say we will have. He says we do have. We've used this illustra- I've used this illustration several times, but it's basically like Jesus writing you a check. Do you say thank you the moment you get the check, or do you say thank you the moment the check clears? Depends if you think he's got the money in the account, right? Do we believe that God's got the money in the account, Ephesians 3, that he's able to do what he's promised? If he's able to do what he's promised, can we take his promise to the bank and say thank you before we even see it? Because that'll be the difference oftentimes between whether we receive anything or not is whether we can truly be thankful, whether we can truly have faith that we've already received it. I read a story um, from a man that, that has now gone to be with the Lord, but he lived to a ripe old age. He's a British fellow and a great preacher, great minister of the gospel, broke new ground, pioneered many powerful things. And he was sick to the point of death. Very, very sick in the hospital. And the doctors were convinced he was going to die. He was a man of faith, knew the scriptures about healing, knew what the Lord... He had seen God heal many people when he prayed for them. Believe that God heals. And as he fought on that bed to live, fighting, 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 not, not coming to the point where he felt the victory. He just kept felting like, feeling like he was fighting. It says, he said, all of a sudden I realized that God wanted me well. Now he preached that it was God's will to heal. But he said it, it, it hit home in me all of a sudden. God wants me well. I am not wrestling with God here. I'm not convincing God. He wants me well. The moment it clicked in his mind that God did not want him in that hospital anymore, that it was the Lord's will, and that he, as a servant of the Lord, was simply aligning his will with God's will, instead of using his will to try to twist God's arm, that this was the will of the Lord, and you're his servant, you're his son, just come into line with his will. The minute he did that, he said he was healed. The doctors were amazed. He who should have been dead lived for decades longer. We were just talking before the service. It was interesting that, that, that this happened, but you know, Pastor Brownie and I were talking, and, and I remember being a young man, um, just being basically a kid, convinced that my mother would live, but hearing doctors say that she surely is going to die. Probably won't last. You know, it was always changing. It was like she may not last the night. She might not, may not last the month. Seeing my father fight for her at her bedside, and then mom and I were talking, and she said to me, and this was something I hadn't heard her say before, but that at that point, and correct me if I'm wrong, at that point where she felt she could go either way, that she was headed for death, it suddenly, she had been saying, I need to live for my husband. I need to live for my kids. I need to live so that the reputation of the Lord won't be hurt <laughs> like his reputation's in danger right but I know the feeling how's this going to look if I die after preaching all these things when that didn't work those are all noble causes but it's really not the faith that's going to get you healed she became convinced 
heard did you hear God say this directly to you? So on a hospital pass, she comes to the altar. <laughs> this is this is what it's like growing up in the Bounds family. Uh, I remember when mom had a broken back, they said she'd never walk again. And she gets a hospital pass to come to church and lies in a cot while dad preaches. <laughs> dad gets a pass to come to church when he's sick. Mom gets a pass, comes to the altar. <laughs> this is uh, This is what it was like growing up. <laughs> That we know where the power is, and we go where the power is. So she goes to the altar, and the Lord speaks to her and says, I want you to live. Now, I know that sounds elementary, but that's a profound thought. You want to live. You want to live for your kids. You want to live for, your, uh, for the church. You want to live for your husband. But what about this? I want you to live. You want to live because I want you to live? Is that real to you that I want you to live? Because most of the time, that's the thing that's got to click in our mind. It's not that we're trying to convince God that we're going to pray hard enough that He'll say, oh, fine, I'll let you live. But that that He finally convinces us. I want you to live. Now ask me for it. Ask me in faith. You say, oh, I've asked before. You don't know. I've asked the Lord. But when you asked Him, how did you believe? Did you believe? And remember, it is those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. Don't give up the moment you ask. Believe you've received it the moment you ask. And stay in faith and don't give up. In Lou Lake, we've been going through the seven churches that Jesus wrote to in the book of Revelation. And what do we see over and over again? I know your deeds. And one thing I've got to encourage you, you've held on. You've persevered. You haven't let go. Now hold fast. Hold on. Don't give up. Here's the big message to the believers. Wake up and don't give up. Because if you don't give up, you inherit. Now, I'm not talking about don't give up um, like the world would say, don't give up. I'm talking about how a believer waits, how a believer stays in faith, how a believer stays connected to God and doesn't, doesn't let go of the promises of God, doesn't begin to entertain the other side of it, but says, Lord, your promises are true. And though I have not seen it with my eyes, I've seen it with my spirit. And I thank you and I praise you for it is already finished. It's already done in my mind. It's as good as done. You've written the check. I have not seen the cash yet, but the check is just as good as the cash because you have enough money. You've got enough power. You've got enough ability. You've got enough strength and faithfulness to fulfill your word. So I will ask. And when I ask, I don't give up the first time I ask. I believe. Through faith and patience, I inherit. But become convinced of the will of the Lord for your life. Open your Bible. And find out what is the will of the Lord. And stop trying to fight His will. And start receiving it as His will. You are a bondservant of Jesus Christ. You are a son or daughter of the King. You have a right not only to the things He's promised you, but you have an obligation to stand and believe for those things. This is not something that God... Do you realize His promises are not merely rewards? There are rewards and then there are promises. His promises are things 
that He expects His servants to believe. His promises are things He expects His servants to ask for. You've got to abide in Him. You've got to abide in His Word. You let those words abide in you. Then become convinced, this is what you want. Like He said to the Israelites, it's not for your sake I'm doing this. It's for mine. I know that Jesus loves me, friends. And I know that His love for me, as weird as it seems, His love for me is greater than my love for myself. His plan for me is better than my plan for myself. That's why it's so important that we shape our life after His plan, not our own plan. That we walk in His plan, walk in His words, walk according to His commands, and not what we've dreamed up or thought up because he's able to do more than that. But let him dream through you. Let him think through you. Let him tell you what he wants for your life. And then have the courage and the audacity to ask for something that goes in line with what he's planned for you, that goes perfectly in line with what he's told you. This is what I want for your life. And when you're convinced of it, you will ask in faith for the craziest things because you know that your God is able to do more than you could have asked for. The question is not whether he's able to do it. The question is not whether he's faithful. The question is whether he's promised it to you. Has he promised this? Is this his will? And become convinced of the will of the Lord in your life. Then ask, ask, ask. Don't just wait. Ask. And believe it. And thank him for it. Praise him for it. It changes every way that we think it changes how we live it changes how we act when we're convinced this is the will of the Lord and I'm not backing down until I see it those last two stories I told you I I tell you because that had to become real to me I don't remember what day it was I do actually it was was yesterday where I went and we'll just close with this thought I went home and um, I was praying with much conviction and sincerity, but feeling like I was hitting a wall, praying for some of these people in our church who've been battling and battling and fighting the good fight of faith. And I felt like I was wrestling. I felt I felt like it was it was a high mountain to climb. And I remember lying back on my bed and just falling back on my bed and all of a sudden realizing I don't want them well as much as you want them well. My desire for them is not as strong as your desire for them. My problem has been when I've prayed, I've prayed as if to convince God, move your hand, when He's saying, friend, son, it's my will. Will you just agree with me? Instead of fighting me all the time, like you're some great lawyer, and I'm a gullible jury. Why don't you just ask me? Why don't you just believe that it's my will? Instead of trying to force your will upon God, realize it is His will already. Would you stand and we're going to pray. You know, God has um, given us the great the great privilege of being able to look into His Word and see examples of those that we can imitate. 
but through faith and patience inherit the promise. We can open Hebrews 11 and see all these people who did great things. How did they do it? By faith. Which means that they had to become convinced that it was God's will and they fully threw themselves upon that will. They threw themselves upon the ability, the strength, the power of God and said, you do this. I'm, I'm your servant in this, but it's your power, it's your will, it's your anointing that's going to do it. By faith, they conquered kingdoms. By faith, they shut the mouths of lions. By faith, Noah built the ark. By faith, Abraham went into the promised land. By faith, the Israelites crossed the Red Sea as though it were on dry land. And when the Egyptians tried to do the same thing, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell. It is by becoming convinced of who he is, of what he said, and simply coming into line with His will. That we find our greatest faith. Can we pray right now? And we're going to pray in faith. You see, the Lord has given us a, a laundry list of promises. And He says, these are the things I'll let you ask me for. You're a fool not to ask Him for the things He's already promised. And you're a fool to ask Him as if they were your idea. It's not your idea. You didn't come up with this. It's his idea.